Hello, I'm Pamela Davis. Welcome to episode 36 of the Well Done Life podcast. Hello, and welcome back to episode 36 of the Well Done Life podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Davis. If this is your first time here, welcome. Hey, how have you been? If you've been here before, thank you again for continuing to listen. Uh, the Well Done Life podcast is about building community by sharing experiences. No one is an expert at this thing called life, so I'm really glad that we are gaining new experts and growing together. So let's learn and grow. Before we dive in, I want to say thank you again to the first responders out there holding it down for us. COVID-19 is still out here, even though a lot of people would like to act like it's gone away. But I really to say all that, I'm, I'm not going to get into it because we all know what's going on. Just wear your mask, social distance, and treat people with kindness. So this week's episode was a little challenging for me, and I'm actually recording it a little bit later than I would like. I'm recording it on Saturday night at 9 o'clock, and I think it's just been because with work, um, processing the Brianna, Brianna Taylor announcement, as well as um, the passing of, of Ruth, Gator ben, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, excuse me, I've kind of felt a little off, and obviously it's coming across in how I'm speaking, so please excuse that. And I have a lot of different emotions. I, I think at first, in regards to Breonna Taylor, I, I kind of feel like I'm disappointed that it took so long just to get to this outcome. And I'm also disappointed that I didn't expect anything different to happen. And I know that probably sounds really pessimistic, but I'm a realist, and I really didn't. I didn't expect anything better. I was hopeful, but I didn't expect it. And unfortunately, having that feeling is not uncommon. I think many of us in the Black community feel that way. And it's, it's an exhausting feeling. It really is. And it's just amazing how, like I said, you hope things will be different, but then you realize they can't be different as long as people are carrying the same old perspectives into it. Um, I think in order for us to kind of grow and move ahead, we have to be willing to kind of face the things that are holding us back that allow the stereotypes, the old perspectives to just constantly get in the way of us having progress. And I mean, I don't think I'm the only one who knows what they are. I'm sure you probably heard a few. I've jotted down a couple that I've heard over the past um, couple of days since everything was announced. Number one, her boyfriend should have never fired his gun. And my counter to that is, well, he was just exercising his Second Amendment right because he was a licensed gun owner protecting his home. And then my other thing that I've heard is, well, her ex-boyfriend implicated her into a potential drug ring. And then I'm like, what? They hadn't even been together for over a year. That alone makes me question the surveillance and evidence, you know, that they presented to get the no-knock warrant in the first place. And then my third response that I've heard this week that just kind of drives me crazy is, this is just an unfortunate tragedy. And when I hear that, the only thing that I can think of, how is that even possible when the officer was charged with wanton endangerment for firing shots that could have injured her neighbor? That in itself kind of speaks to me of a use of excessive force. But I guess what can be expected when you have a warrant that doesn't require you to identify yourself before entering a home? And then my final uh, favorite thing that I've heard this week that's really kind of gotten on my last nerves is, well, they got a $12 million settlement. 
And no offense, $12 million is a lot of money, of course, before taxes, before attorney's fees. That is, that's a lot of money. But then at the same time, I kind of think about it how I'm quite confident her mother would feel. She probably would be willing, I think, to give back that money to have her daughter safe, sound, and alive. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have personally a loved one that I'd be willing to sacrifice for a couple of million dollars. And I really hate when people try to equate money and life like they're the same thing because they're not. I mean, we're not talking apples to apples. That's something totally different. And there's not enough money, like we said, like I said, to replace anyone's life. So I kind of think that people jump to that hasty realization instead of thinking that when civil settlements pay out, that typically means that there is a level of guilt or responsibility on the part of the person who committed the offense. So ultimately, I think that there are things that need to be looked at when we're talking about this case. But also, I think about the justice system as a whole. And I think that that means that we need to look at how we implement laws and make sure that we have laws in place that require police officers to identify themselves. We also, I think, have to revisit qualified immunity um, for police and reimagine how policing looks in our country. And let me kind of slow everybody down before everybody gets there, you know, upset and kind of starts making this something political. It's not. Because... What I'm talking about is not about abolishing and or defunding the police, you know, the sexy terms that everyone likes to talk about right now. I think this is about establishing a system of justice that works for all of its citizens, regardless of color, religion, sexual orientation, gender, etc. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's just important that we get to a point where we recognize we can't afford to discriminate against people that against people for things that are outside of their control. Because if you allow injustice or discrimination to occur for one person, you're allowing it for the masses. And even though it may not have hit you yet, you don't know when your time is coming. I mean, Breonna Taylor was asleep in her house. So imagine how someone can coincidentally, I guess, think that your house is a drug house. You'd be surprised. Drug houses are not always in the hood. And they could come into your house that way. And imagine how your family would feel. So I I always say that we just kind of have to put ourselves into different situations and different mindsets with this, because I think it's more of a holistic issue versus dealing with just the feelings that we're dealing with right now and not making it a political issue in the sense of what's sexy, but thinking about what in the long term is going to really bring about change and how we are a part of that change. Um, that's kind of my little soapbox (laughs) message for Brianna. I had to kind of get that out because like I said, I've, I've been privy to many conversations. I've seen them online or had them with friends and colleagues. And I just think it's important that we give it full context before we start jumping to conclusions and really look at it for something that is an opportunity for us to affect the whole and learn from this one. But then, um, even with Brianna's death, that did make me think about how and how black women are the most unprotected people in America. And I know some people kind of get sensitive about that or they may not understand it, but it really is as simple as the fact that we are, because you have to think about it, we are black women. So that means I'm going to get stereotyped based upon, and judged based upon my skin color as well as my gender. So I've got the double whammy 
And in speaking, referencing specifically to what happened to Breonna Taylor, I mean, there are a ton of black women who have been killed that didn't become hashtags. Not every story becomes that way. That's the, and that made me think about how, um, excuse me, that made me think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her loss and how women, especially black women, may now become even more vulnerable with her passing. I mean, the notorious RBG, as I like to call her, uh, was a tireless champion for gender equality and women's rights, which we all know. Um, if I look back at her history, and I wanted to make sure that I was very intentional when I was talking about this and setting the foundation, because I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, from my perspective as a Black American, I've heard Black Americans say that she didn't do a lot for us. And I've heard, you know, people try to disparage her name based upon just Roe v. Wade because of their personal feelings in regards to abortion rights. But when I look back at her history, I saw that Ruth Bader Ginsburg co-authored or championed a Supreme Court opinions that dealt with a number of issues. I mean, she didn't just hit Roe v. Wade. She was responsible for co-authoring um, opinions that dealt with gender discrimination. Uh, one in particular was the United States versus Virginia, which was um, authored in 1996 which struck down the uh, VMI. And I don't remember if a lot of people remember that. I remember hearing that story when it came about to help uh, remove their male-only admissions policy because it was a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And then even taking it a step further, with the election of President Barack Obama in 2008, the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act was actually inspired by Ruth Bader Ginsburg from her work on the previous case a Lily Ledbetter employment discrimination case. And no offense, I think each of us as women should value and remember that because that helps make sure that we have a vehicle to be able to win pay discrimination claims and be paid what we're worth. And not necessarily just focusing on those gender issues. She also was instrumental in search and seizures. She, even though she didn't, um, author the majority opinion, she was credited with influencing the rest of her colleagues on the case of Safford United uh, Unified School District versus Reading in 2009. And the court ruled that a school went too far in ordering a 13-year-old female student to strip to her bra and underpants so female officials could search for drugs. I think that's crazy. I, I, I don't have children, so I can't speak to how a parent would feel in that situation. But I know if my child was strip searched, at school, I would go ballistic. So being able to have her set precedent so that schools cannot do that, I think is amazing. And then on top of that, obviously, abortions rights. And I'm not going to go into Roe v. Wade because I know, again, that's such a sensitive issue. But I really kind of, I feel the way that Judge Ginsburg felt. And in 2009, in a New York Times interview, she said the basic thing about abortion right for her was that she just felt that the government had no business making that choice for a woman. And no matter where you fall on the perspective of abortions rights, I totally agree with her. I don't think the government should be policing women's bodies. I feel like women should have the option to make sound choices. And abortion rights, being able to have that choice and to be able to obtain an abortion, if that is what you so choose, in a manner that does not jeopardize your life, 
I think is your right. And not also just, um, like I said, we're not going to focus on just uh, Roe v. Wade, but she also was instrumental in uh, search and seizure laws, uh, in international law, Native Americans, and then one in particular that really struck me was in 1999, Justice Ginsburg wrote the majority opinion of Olmstead versus L.C., And during that case, the court ruled that mental illness is a form of disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. And I think that that is such a really foundational law that we really need to think about how she was able to protect that vulnerability in our society. I mean, mental illness is nothing to play with. I think we've all learned and seen through the years and through experiences, maybe personal or what we've observed, that people with mental illness need to be protected under the American with Disability Act. They deserve to be covered just like anyone else. So when I looked at Justice Ginsburg's life in totality, she influenced so many areas that affected the vulnerable. And like I said earlier, as a Black woman, yes, I'm vulnerable. But even women in general, we are vulnerable. And I really value the fact that she lived her life in service. I mean, she it, it, it's, it's just amazing. And unfortunately, her loss is very hard to swallow. And I've seen a lot of people be very um, be very opinionated on both sides. I saw her lying in state, even in her passing, she was breaking, breaking rules and glass ceilings, which I think was amazing as the first woman to ever lie in state. And it's just unfortunately another devastating loss. And this week I just found myself asking like, wow, you know, we're here. We're dealing with so much loss and we have to find the strength to go on. And it's just, how do we do that? And I think that we have to, because obviously that was that's what Rihanna and Justice Ginsburg would have wanted for us to do. We have to use their lives as an inspiration to keep speaking out, to keep fighting for the vulnerable, to keep trying to learn from our experiences. But it's challenging right now. <laughs> and I really hope that we learn from these passings that it is just so important to realize how fleeting life can be. I mean, Breonna Taylor was an EMT. She had her own place. She was making a fair living, taking care of herself, and building a life for herself. Justice Ginsburg battled cancer numerous times, and she fought tirelessly to the end because she was passionate about people and making sure that she was setting up a position so that someone could come behind her that would take up the mantle because the fight for democracy in her eyes was not one that you could take lightly. And I think we've all learned that that is not something that you can take lightly. But I think it's important to also remember from these two passings how important it is to live fully in every moment that we have. And that we have to also learn that you can speak up for what's right. And actually, it's imperative that we speak up for what's right. We're the voices and the votes that we need to bring about lasting change. And also, as women, we have to understand we are the foundation of society. We are essential to its growth and development. We are the givers of life. And so we have to respect that about each other. But then at the same time, we also have to remember we're not monolithic. No woman is the same. We are all unique and different, and that's what makes us great. And each of us carries a story that we can learn from, and really, we can actually heal 
ourselves and maybe some of the challenges of the world by listening to and gleaning some type of understanding from. Because if anything that I keep being reminded personally in my spirit is that we have to lean into each other even more now. And when we lean lean into each other, chains are broken. Similarities are revealed. Healing happens and growth occurs. All of those things are essential as we strive to live the well-done life. We can't heal what we don't reveal. We can't grow from what we don't seek to understand. We have to stop being divisive and start listening and give each other an opportunity to share their perspective. Because I think, again, like I mentioned, we will find more similarities than we will find disparities. And I think those similarities are what's going to help us be able to bring about a lasting change. Because I'm tired of us going through this. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I am. Because it is damaging to us as a people. It's, It's not allowing us to leave fully and to grow. So when I see passings like these, I remember how impactful these lives are. And I hope that, again, like I said, you take a nugget or two from this that will resonate with you and help you be able to grow as we go on the journey together. Um, Going forward, I will be sharing some new voices with you soon because, you know, hey, we're building a community one voice at a time. So I really just want to thank you for, you know, going on this week's journey with me. It's definitely been a roller coaster. Like I said, it's just kind of a sea of emotions trying to manage it all. But, you know, such is life. (laughs) Um, But we will persevere and get through. I hope that you will please continue to like, share and subscribe. You can find me on all streaming platform where podcasts are found. And my information will be in the show notes so that you can reach out and connect with me via email or social media. I really enjoy interacting with you all. So getting your feedback is only going to help us grow and get better. And that's what this is all about. And one thing that I will ask you this week to do, give yourself grace. Take a moment and give yourself grace because we're caring a lot right now. And we're in a very treacherous time with election cycles, very contentious, very divisive. Give yourself grace when you need to protect your energy and your spirit. And then also make it a point to learn something new about someone this week. I had a great conversation today with Valerie Moses of the uh, Wellness and Wanderlust uh, podcast, and that will be coming out soon. I can't wait to share that with you, but we had an amazing conversation. It was one of our first really in-depth. I learned great things about her, and I really look forward to sharing with you. And it just kind of helped renewed me going into this new week. So I hope that you will do something like that for yourself because I think it will allow you, like I said, to learn something new about someone, and it might just bless you. So I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the weekend, and I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.